You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, why don't we go ahead and get started? Um, this is the Faith and Family class. Um, and this is really kind of a series of classes that Cameron Cole has put together. Um, and today we're looking at the college decision. What does this have to do with Jesus? Um, and I want to start out with just getting a show of hands. How many of, it, how many of y'all in here already have children that have gone to college? Alright, we've got a few experts in here. Uh, how many of y'all have children that are seniors? Okay, how about kids in high school? All right, anybody who has children that are not yet in high school? Okay, so some getting ahead of the curve. All right, um, well, a few months ago, Cameron asked me to teach this class. He said he, he actually, this was his marching orders. A Sunday school class about guiding kids through the college decision process. And I gotta say, I started, I started thinking about it. I thought, you know, the Bible doesn't have much to say about the college decision process. Um, I did a word search. I have an ESV Bible online and I can just search on words. I searched the word college. Nothing. Search the word university. Nothing. Search the word school. Nothing. Search the word education. I came up with two references, one in Daniel and one in Acts, neither of which were particularly helpful. Then I searched the word decision, and I came up with 13 results. Um, But again, nothing that was particularly helpful. Um, But shortly after Cameron asked me to teach this class, I was reading and studying for another group um, the second chapter in John's Gospel. And I found something that I thought might be helpful. Um, and so the connection is probably not going to be readily apparent. Um, but before we read it, let me open us in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to gather together as a body um, and worship you. And Lord, we ask that um, as we're gathered here this morning in this classroom, um, that you yourself, um, through your Holy Spirit, would teach us and instruct us and correct us and reprove us. Lord, that you would train us in righteousness, that we might be complete and ready for every good work. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, you should all have um, a piece of paper that kind of has the scripture references, or you're welcome to, if you have a Bible, to turn to John 2, verses 1 through 11, and I'll just read that. Um, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars, water jars there, for the Jewish rites of purification each holding some 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. 
So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the wine, I mean the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples now believed in him. The word of the Lord. All right, anybody get the connection? It's not readily apparent. Um, So let me go back through it just a little bit. And it's particularly this exchange between Jesus' mother and Jesus. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, think for a minute about that exchange. First, what is Mary telling Jesus? Literally. They're out of wine. They're out of wine. Yep, she is coming. They've, they've run out of wine. She's bringing to him a situation. She's bringing to him a issue. She's bringing to him a problem. And in this culture, this was a big problem to run out of wine. Now, look at Jesus' response. The ESV translation, which is what you have in front of you, says, what does this have to do with me? Other translations read, what do you have to do with me? Or, what is that to me and to you? Why do you involve me? What has this concern of yours have to do with me? So, what does this have to do with me? What do you think about that response? Does it seem a little rough to you? Yeah, what's it? I mean, if Jesus, Jesus is Jesus, he knows what he's going to do. So why is he taking her through this and us through this? And Jesus responds as he always does or very often does. He responds to her statement with a question. Now, do you think Jesus is looking for information? Mm Mm-mm. Why does Jesus, why do you think he's asking this question? What's he trying to do? What does this have to do with me? He's trying to make her think. And he's trying to make us think. What does this have to do with me? And so I I really kind of sat on that. And I thought... What does this problem that they've run out of wine have to do with Jesus? Actually, it has everything to do with Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one in the party who can fix the problem. And, you know, I I, I really thought about that. And I thought, what is this? When Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? And I thought, whatever this is... It has to do with Jesus. If Jesus cares that there's no wine at a party, then he cares about whatever is going on in our lives, big and small. And if he cares about wine at a party, he cares about the college decision. 
And I think we that's the first thing we have to realize as parents is this matters. As all our decisions matter, they, this matters to God. And it has to do, you know, if you're, whether your children go to this college or that or whether they go to college at all, it has to do with Jesus. And like a lot of decisions that we make as parents, the decision, the college decision has an opportunity to have a real impact on your relationship with your child, on your relationship with your spouse, and on your relationship with the Lord. And uh, and I want to really kind of look at this opportunity with your child. This is one more opportunity to teach your children how to make good decisions. And golly, isn't that what we want as parents, is we want our children to be able to make good and wise decisions. And this may be the biggest decision that they've yet to make in their lives, if you think about it. Um, and it also may be the last decision you get to help them make. I don't know about y'all, but when I was in college, um, I considered myself an adult. I considered myself on my own. Um, I made my own decisions, what colleges, what, I mean, what courses to take, um, what major to pursue, what job to accept when I got out of college, who to marry. It's probably to my detriment that I didn't ask my dad for his advice. And I wish I, I mean, that was not wise, but I really felt like I was on my own. And I think, you know, your kids who are seniors in high school, you really want to step into this opportunity to really help them know how to make good and wise decisions. And this is kind of a good vehicle to carry that through. So that's good. Um, So it's a great opportunity to teach them how to make decisions. It's also an opportunity to get crossways with your child. And I kind of want to talk about that for a bit because as parents, we can bring a wide variety of baggage into the college decision. And here's a big one. Where my child goes to college is a reflection on me. This is a bugaboo, whether it's sports, whether it's your child's weight, whether it's um, the, their accomplishments, um, what college they go to. It is not healthy when our identity is too wrapped up in our child's performance. Um, does that make sense? And this can play out in a lot of different ways. One, I can have an inflated sense um, of accomplishment and success in saying that my child goes to an elite Ivy League institution. Or I can say with embarrassment that my child goes to Podunk Remedial School. Um, all too often, we try to find a measure of achievement and, ex- and success through our children's performance. And it really leaves us in a bad place. We're either puffed up or we're deflated. Um, and the really the worst thing about it is our child can really feel the conditional nature of our love. And that is, if I remember one thing from Paul's all, it was judgment kills. And when they feel that condition, I love you if you do X, Y, and Z, that is, that's, that makes things difficult for the relationship. And I think that's the thing in this college decision process. We really want to keep our relationship with our kids the best it can be. 
because they really are going out. Um, and you don't want a child that goes out and never wants to come back. Um, so, and uh, just is a little bit of encouragement. Sometimes God gives you insight in unlikely places. And this is a um, this is when I was in the gym watching in the gym at the junior high watching one of our sons play basketball. And I didn't realize as a parent, one of the things you do is you become a professional spectator. You're always watching your kids do something. So I was watching him play and I noticed that no matter what, my eye was on my child. You know, if he was playing offense, I was watching him. If he was playing defense, if he was on the bench. And it really didn't matter if he was playing well. And it really didn't matter if he was playing poorly. It didn't matter if he was a good sport or bad sport. My eye was on my child. And I really thought about it. And I thought, you know, my eye is on my child just because he's mine. And then I thought, you know, that's kind of, that's a, that's a glimpse of how God is with us. That God's eye is on us just because we're his. We're bought with the price of his blood. And he loves us not because of what we do well, not because of what we don't do well. He loves us because we're his. And that is, that was a really good understanding for me to have as a mom. Because we are called to love our children as we have been loved in Christ Jesus. And it's that loving, God loves us just because we're his, good or bad. And we love our kids just because they're ours, good or bad. Does that make sense? That was, that was a good, that was a good thing for me. Um, I, I had the opportunity of watching another couple, um, do something really right with their kids. Um, this is, um, y'all, some of you may know him, Charles Mason. Uh, he used to be the superintendent of the Mountain Brook Schools. Um, he then worked in professional, leading professional development for Brassfield and Gorey. Recently helped us in the visioning process, kind of steered us through that. But Charles Mason and his wife Lucy, both very well educated, valued education enormous, enormously. And their son, Will, was the son, was the age of one of our children, so we knew him. And he was accepted into a private elite school, went his freshman year, and partway through, he decided to stop, to drop out of school, and to pursue a career in music. He wanted to go travel with a band, um, with Moses Mayfield. And I watched Lucy and Charles be so supportive of their son, these people who really, really cared about education, be so supportive of their son, and they became roadies. Wherever he was performing, they were on the front row cheering him on. I remember going to Odie's, and there's Charles and Lucy sitting there, you know. And then so, and then Will went on to found Mason Music. And, you know, just that stepping back and letting their kid do what he, what God gifted him to do. And not kind of get wrapped up with their own ideas um, and their own expectations of what their child should be. And, and that's another bugaboo is our expectations. Um, it's important to keep them in check. Um, 
because a lot of times without realizing it, we ask our children to carry the weight of our expectations. And I want to give you a couple of examples. Um, my daughter, Mary Louise, after her freshman year in college, spent the summer working at Camp DeSoto as a camp counselor. And she learned lots. That was a rich environment for her. Um, and it was really interesting to hear her observations of her girls, who were all in the seventh grade, in her cabin. And she said, Mom, there were three girls. They were all from Oxford, Mississippi. They were all friends. They were all in the seventh grade. And they all knew they were going to go to Ole Miss. And they all knew they were going to be Tridelts. And I thought, you know, I mean, that's, that is, um, that's interesting. Where do y'all think they got these expectations? Any guesses? From mama. Yeah. I think that is exactly it. Um, as moms, we can subtly, unintentionally, without malice, um, paint a picture of our child's future for them. Um, and I think we have to be careful because what are these seventh grade girls going to feel if they don't get into Ole Miss? Or what are they going to feel if they don't get a bid to try to help? I mean, they're going to have the weight of their own disappointment, but they're also going to have the added weight of their parents' disappointment and possibly their mother's judgment. And that is, that's, that's a lot to put on a child. Um, or just another way to look at it, one of those girls could have gifts and talents that would be much better suited for a different college in a different situation. And we just, we have no idea what we're kind of imprinting on them. So we, we kind of have to watch that. Um, I want to show you, this is a darker example than Tridelts at Ole Miss. Has anybody seen Dead Poet Society? All right. Um, this is a scene in Dead Poet Society. Let me give you a little background. Um, the, the story is set in a boarding school, a college prep school. Um, Neil, who is um, in the picture, this is his family. Neil um, is a student, and he, um, his father has very high expectations of him academically and professionally. Um, and when Neil lands the role of Puck in A Midsummer's Night Dream, his father insists that he abandon the idea of acting, that he drop out of the play, and that he concentrate on his studies. And so that, and so Neil has lied about his father's approval to be in the play. He has gone on and, and performed in the play, um, in the role of Puck. And he's unaware until the very last scene that his father is in the audience. So his father, as soon as the play's over, his father takes him home. And that's where we're going to see. Um, this is the mother waiting for the father and the son to get home. And then they walk in. So if all goes well with the technology.
trying very hard. Do you understand why it is that you insist on defying us? Whatever the reason, we're not going to let you ruin your life. Tomorrow I'm withdrawing you from Welton and enrolling you in Brighton Military School. You're going to Harvard and you're going to be a doctor. But that's ten more years. Father, that's a lifetime! Don't stop it! Don't be so dramatic. You make it sound like a prison term. You don't understand, Neil. You have opportunities that I never even dreamt of, and I am not going to let you waste them. I have to tell you what I feel. I'm really so sorry. Tell me what you feel. What is it? Is it more of this, this acting business? Because you can forget that. Okay. It's kind of a tough, tough scene to watch. Um, and try not to think, if you know the movie, try not to think of the, of the rest of the movie. Let's just focus on this exchange between the father and the son. Um, he says, son, you have opportunities that I never had. You are going to Harvard and you're going to be a doctor. I'm not going to let you waste your life. Now, if you were to ask this father, maybe not in the heat of the moment, do you want what's best for your son? What do you think he'd say? Yeah. I think he would say, yeah, I'm trying my hardest. Um... If you were to ask this father, do you love your son? What do you think he'd say? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I know this is fiction, but I could imagine a scene like this where a father is really trying, or a mother, is trying to act in their child's best interest. But the question I want to talk about is, why can it go so badly? I don't know if you've ever, if you've, if you've ever, um, found yourself in a situation with your child where you are saying things you wish you hadn't said. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have. Um, and instead of being controlled by the Holy Spirit, you're being controlled by anger, 
or in my case, my need to be right, my need to control. Um, you know, things can go badly. Um, so my question is, why? Why do things go badly? Think back to Genesis 3. Sin. We live in a broken world. And if you think about it, and this is, this is the downer part. We are broken, selfish, sinful, blind people trying to raise broken, selfish, sinful, blind children. And it's hard. Sin infects everything. It infects our relationships, especially. We are part of the problem, but because we're blind, we can't see the log that's in our eye. And a lot of times we can't see our part of the problem. We can see our children's part of the problem, but we have a hard time seeing our own. Um, I can really see, I can find myself in this father, um, particularly if I want that I, I feel like I'm right and they're wrong. And I want to control the situation. And I can say things that I wish I hadn't said, and I can mishandle the situation. And I'm in good company because St. Paul writes in Romans 7, I don't understand my actions, for I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And I think we as parents have all found ourselves there where we have done something that we don't want to do with our child. And then, and I think this movie clip picked up on this, it is so hard to move towards reconciliation. Um, there's no, I think the saddest thing in this scene is there's no, son, you disobeyed me, and I'm really angry, but I still love you. There's none of that. The mom kind of tries it at the end, but, you know, she, she, doesn't, she doesn't get very far. And we end in silence, and it kind of goes from bad to worse. And I really, I was reading, I was watching this last night, and I thought, there's a reason God says don't let the sun go down on your anger. To end like that is not, is not good. Um, so, now the next question is, okay, so we blow it as parents. <coughs> How do we handle that? What do we do when we blow it like this? Yeah, ask for forgiveness from the Lord and then to our children. Go to the Lord. I mean, repentance. Lord, it's me again, and I've blown it yet another time. And I've let my desire for approval, or I've let my desire to control things, or my desire to be right get the better of me. Please forgive me. And Lord, show me how I can repair this situation. And then go to the child and say, look, I blew it. I spoke in anger. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? When you make that bow to your child, that changes everything. And then they can have the freedom. Maybe not in the moment, and it may take years, but they can come back and receive and restore the relationship. Does that make sense? That's really important. Um, is because we are going to blow it, particularly y'all with little children. 
You have no idea. Well, you may because you've got two-year-olds. You have no idea how a, how your child can bring you to the end of yourself. And the worst part of you comes out. And that ability to go in and ask for forgiveness from the Lord and then from your child really restores everything. Um, but there's, there's also something else at play in this exchange between the father and the son that I think can be in play in our own lives, particularly in the communities that we're in. And that is the idea of the right life. Um, we can put subtle and not so subtle pressure on our children to take the right courses, to get the right grades, to have the right number of service hours, to join the right clubs, to play the right sports, to be involved in the right projects, to speak the right foreign language, so they can go to the right school, get the right job, and have the right life. Anybody with me? I mean, that is, and without realizing it, We really let the world define what the right life or success looks like. And Jesus had a pretty good understanding of the tension between how he defines success and how we define success. And I put a quote in there from Matthew 6. I'm not going to read all of it, just the beginning and the end. But you've got it there so you can read it for yourself. No one can serve two masters. For he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And then it goes on at the very end says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I think that's a good word to keep in mind when we are really thinking, what do we really want for our child? Do we really want them to have the right life as the world defines it? Or do we really want them to, to know, to know the Lord? You know, when Jesus was asked, what is the, what's the, what's the most important commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what's important. Seeking his kingdom first is what's really important. And, you know, if we, and I thought Andrew captured this really well in his sermon, what God cares about is what is in our hearts. What are we really trying to accomplish with this decision that we have to make? And if we are trying to seek God first and his kingdom first and to love him, then if our child goes to Harvard and is a doctor, that's a good decision. Or if our child goes to Ole Miss and she's, and he's, she's a Tridelt, that's a good decision. And if our child goes to Podunk Remedial School and becomes whatever he happens to become, that's a good decision. As long as our hearts are right, that's what really, really matters. And that's what we, that's what we lose so often when we're trying to make this college decision. Because there are deadlines, it's expensive, it takes a lot of time, a lot of money, and you get really focused in on that and you, we can lose the big picture so easily. Um, 
So it's worth stopping to think, okay, what is my definition of success? What is, what's my real priority in my life? And, and what do I want to convey to my children? Um, it takes faith, intentionality, courage, strength, and prayer to really walk against the current of the culture in this decision and everything else with our kids. Um, and to keep, to, to, to keep our priorities straight. And prayer is really vital. And that's what kind of takes us back to this wedding at Cana. Um, like Mary, we need to bring this to Jesus. Um, so how do we, when we are approaching the college decision, and if God cares that there's wine at a party, he cares about this decision and all the other decisions that you have to make, I mean, think about that. I mean, he really, he cared about wine at a party. Scripture tells us he numbers the hairs on our head. He engraves our names on the palms of his hands. He cares about the details. So we need to bring it to God in prayer. Um, And it's really about trying to, prayer to me is a lot about trying to get my heart right before God. I mean, we pray that prayer that, you know, Lord, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hid. He already knows what's going on in our hearts. But we need a repentance is agreeing with God about what he says about our hearts. It is really getting in touch with what's actually going on in our hearts. Um, where are my priorities, Lord? There's a great oh, there's a great verse in Psalm 139 to pray when you really are trying to search your heart. And that verse says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be a grievous way in me, lead me in a different direction. Lead me in the everlasting way. But that search me, O God, and God will do. God will, all of a sudden things will start bubbling up if you will, if you will actually ask him that. And you say, okay, Lord, where are my priorities? What, what, and where are they off? Where am I putting my expectations on my child in an unhealthy way? And, and how's my identity wrapped up in all of this? Um, and kind of get all the yuck out. And the good thing is, is God never leaves us in the yuck. Um, when you, you know, when he's gone through this, um, there, when he says, you know, I don't do the things, a wretched man that I am, I don't do the things that I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. He keeps going on, and then he gets to this great passage in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's, I mean, he knows we're going to blow at his parents, but if we will bring it to him and then sit in the knowledge that he loves us in spite of ourselves. And I really think one reason God gives us children is so we can get a glimpse of how he loves us. Because we love our children in spite of their messes. And God loves us in spite of our messes. And so we're, Tim Keller always says the gospel is we're worse than we think we are. 
but far more love than we ever dared to hope. And as, as parents, as Christians, we have to hold both of those truths in the same, in the, in the, at the same time. Um, and then I can tell you this, that God is faithful. I mean, those of you who remember Barry McRae, he used to always say, God is the great alchemist. He can turn water into wine. He can turn what is bitter into what is sweet. He can take where there is death or barrenness and bring out life. He can take the storm of anxiety and turn it into a great calm. He can take the blind and make us see. He can take the deaf and make us hear. He can change water into wine. And that is good news for us as parents. So, um, questions, thoughts. That's kind of the end of what I had prepared. What do y'all think? Yeah, you do. Oh, Frank, that's so true. Yeah. And to try to do it. I was listening to A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And there was there was a line in there. It was kind of like if we were if 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 in our own strength, we confide. Uh, But we have the right man at our side or something. I, I don't have the words completely right. But yeah, to try to do this without God. Robs our children of seeing our dependency on God um, and robs us of a, something that could be something that could just be mundane turns into something that's really rich and good. So, yeah, we need we need God to go through this. It also had me kind of think about how. I mean, we obviously are far away from this, but it's always nice that we always think it's nice to have the seeds planted for when we get to that time. So yeah, I like hearing um, this, but that it's such a feels like such a big decision. It's so important where someone ends up at school, but there's also a whole nother of once you get to school as a parent, hoping you've planted the right seeds for your children once they're there. Yeah. I think at any school, university, wherever you are, um, that's a whole nother thing. So it's so easy to kind of lose track and get far away from your faith. Yeah, it is. And boy, you want that. I mean, if you really stop and think of, what you want to send your child. I mean, we've talked before about the analogy of packing their suitcases so when they leave, they have what you need. They have what they need. And boy, you want them to have faith and to see you relying on the Lord in this decision and other ones speaks volumes. It really does. Victor. I would say, especially in this day and age, you need you need to really look at the money thing too because yeah. you you yourself can be susceptible to because you want to be seen right with all your peers and what you think people and wherever you live are supposed to do you get yourself in financial trouble or your child in financial trouble in order to go to the right place yeah. and there's no shame in saying you know you're going to have to do scholarships or mm-hmm. to face that as a reality so you're not jeopardizing their future or yours yeah. financially yeah, I think that's a great point. Did everybody hear that? Um, yeah, I think you, there's, there's a parable about counting the cost when you're going to build a tower to make sure you have what you need to build the tower. And if you're going to go to college, that's the, that's, that's a big part of it. 
and also I was just I remember one person confiding um, <clears throat> that her father always reminded her how much college cost. And it was kind of a weight on her shoulders that he kind of, you know, just always was reminding her of how much money he has spent on college. And that was probably not helpful for their for their relationship. Um, but, yeah, money plays into it. Mary. I was just thinking how wonderful it is that the wine gardens are listening to this with the age children they have because, of course, we can model this beginning at a very young age. Yeah. Decisions, of course, we're talking about going to college. But um, I just remember it was a little bit hard to when just transitioning them into adulthood because there is up to a certain point you're making so many of these decisions for them or with them and um, then to really launch them that it's their decision and just as you would always say your your handprints aren't on it yeah just figuring out along the way when that happens and, and that gradual letting go yeah yeah I think that's I mean I think it's Parent, you do want you want to lead the receiver. You want to you want to get them to the point where they can run off on their own. I used to water ski, and kind of had the analogy in my head when I was a, when I had young children, of I want to give them enough freedom so they can gradually absorb it. And if you take a ski rope and you throw it all out at once, it gets knotted up and it's you have to start all over. But on the other hand, if you're too miserly putting the ski rope out, they're drowning trying to stay back behind the boat. So you really have to kind of pace yourselves and start giving them more and more freedom and more and more experience making their own decisions. Um, just because you want them to be able to make good decisions. I mean, that really is what we want for our kids. Anything else? Yeah. Any number of youth, you know, young decisions for your kids, and I think that's really helpful. Yeah, Ryan, I think that's a great point. I mean, it is. This really is. This is just the college decision is just a decision, and it's one of those. And trying to stand against the culture um, with athletics or in all sorts of things takes intentionality. So, all right, Victor, could I get you to close us in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this church family and for the sharing of experiences and Father, the knowledge that not a hair is to fall from our heads without you being involved in that. And Father, we just thank you for um, the way you speak to us through your word, through experienced people, and through our children. And we just pray that uh, we will be mindful of you as we move in this and that the real focus is on our child's heart. Thank you for the gift of children. Pray for a good week ahead in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.